Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy beetroot. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. All week, we've heard from listeners who, like us, are struggling to process what's happening at our southern border. Today, we talk about ICE, the executive order, the immigration bills, and how we discuss all of these issues with our kids. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are so happy to be here with all of you, and we really appreciate the feedback and constant emails and Twitter and Facebook messages. I feel like we've all been sort of holding each other up as a community. It's been much appreciated. And needed. It's been a hard mm-hmm. week. And we're doing our best to continue to retweet and post links to organizations that are actually trying to help with the immigration situation. I know that that's a frequent request that we get. So watch our social media channels, um, especially Twitter. That's kind of the easiest place to quickly highlight new resources. And we'll keep doing that. I was about to post a Facebook fundraiser on my personal page for Racist, the biggest, I think it's one of the biggest immigration advocacy groups in 
Texas. And then I saw that their Facebook fundraiser had reached $10 million, which was a very wonderful thing to see. It is a wonderful thing to see. And I think it's a reminder that money is helpful to this problem. There is a lot of other kind of help that needs to come to the problem. And one of our listeners wrote to us about how you hate to think about politics at a moment like this, but it is important to remember that this is an election year. Mm -hmm. And one of the most powerful things that we can do is signal our displeasure and our outrage with our votes. And so if you feel like donating to a specific fundraiser about immigration is not your work, consider local campaigns who need your support. I wanted to share a way that I went out and did something just because I wanted to physically do something to address the family separation at the border. Before we get into the latest update of the developments on that, um, I think this was Tuesday. A group of friends, after I heard the audio of the children inside the facility posted by ProPublica, and after I called Beth and said, I'm ready to go to Texas and put my body in front of something, <laughs> I got on my local um, Facebook group of Democratic and liberal women, and I said, let's do something. And so Mitch McConnell is sort of notorious for not picking up his phone. So we decided to go to his office. We went to his field office. He has a field office in Paducah. There was 10 of us. Some of us brought our kids. There was a nice lady there. She let us in, and we told her. I, of course, started crying and said this is unacceptable. And we asked that the senator bring legislation to the floor to end this practice because he is uniquely qualified to do so. And we want this to end. We want better immigration practices. We want immigration reform. And several of my friends were like, well, that felt it felt a little anticlimactic. But I believe stuff like that has an impact. I believe somebody she called Mitch McConnell's D.C. office and said, "Whoa, we just have people show up, which I bet they almost never do. Also, it felt good to say something in person and to put my body in a physical space and say, like, this is so important to me that I showed up. And so I I highly recommend it because as we're going to get into with the update, this is far from over. And look and see where your senator and congressman's field offices are. Because I think showing up in person makes a huge impact. And it's not like you have to go all the way to Washington, D.C. Almost all of them have field offices scattered across their states. And that presents a really good way for you to to literally show up and make your voice heard. We'll come back to this in a second. But I do want to say, because we've gotten a lot of messages that are like, I sent an email, does it matter? Yes. Yes. It matters. It all matters. And you should do what you're comfortable doing. So if you're a phone call person, pick up the phone. If you're an email person, pick up an email. There are a lot of resources out there about what matters more than something else. Just do what is in you to do. Because what you do matters, too. Almost all of the work of governance feels anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. We don't govern in these sweeping. Our, our justice system doesn't feel like law and order. Mm-hmm. Our White House doesn't feel like the West Wing. Like, we have dramatized so many things in life that that I think we do have this sense of, well, it doesn't matter if it doesn't provoke this big emotional response and this closure for me. But every little step matters in its way. So keep doing what you're doing, everybody. I went to a group of young girls and spoke to them um, yesterday. So this was after I made the visit to the field office, sort of about my role as a city commissioner and the leader of the group was like, we've been trying to tell them that's really important to make their voices heard. And I told them that we that because she asked me how I felt about the family separation. We talked about that. I cried again. And we talked. I said, you know, I went to Mitch McConnell's office. I told him how I felt. 
I'm like, but he didn't come out and say, you're right, I'm going to fix it right now. Now, we did, thankfully, get some resolution to this issue. I I hate to call it resolution. We got movement on this issue from the president. But what's important is that it's not over. And when you make your voice heard, you're not going to, I wanted them to hear me say, like, just because you make your voice heard doesn't mean everything's going to change. Sometimes it's going to feel like it didn't matter. But you do it anyway. You show back up again and you keep making your voice heard, even when you're discouraged, even when it feels like it doesn't matter and it's not making a difference because somebody did that for you. You know, I'm listening to a podcast called Uncivil about the Civil War, and it starts with um, this Port Royal military movement of freed slaves who went and freed like 700 slaves. This amazing military moment. Enslaved people throughout the Civil War you know, fought for their freedom, how powerless have and hopeless have must they have felt at times, you know, and social movements and movements for change. It doesn't always feel great. It feels like you take three steps forward and two steps back. Sometimes it feels like you take two steps forward and three steps back. But you keep you keep your link in the chain. You do your part, even when it feels hopeless, because that's what somebody else did before you. So let's talk a little bit about the the shifts in what's happening with our government since our last discussion. I really do agree with you, Sarah, that it's hard to find appropriate verbs to describe what the president has done. Because as I discussed with Jamie Kerchick about um, the president in a different context, he seems to be adopting the Putin strategy of escalating in order to de-escalate. So I don't want to give him any major kudos for stopping a practice that he started and had no reason to start. And stopping it in a way that still leaves an unbelievable wake of damage and will probably lead to future damage. But he has issued an executive order that for now provides for families to be detained together. And I have seen criticism of this that it's sort of shifting from child labor camps to family labor camps. And I understand that perspective. I will also tell you that my perspective is keeping these families together is better than separating them. I still don't like it. I think it's morally wrong. I think the entire approach to immigration by this administration is morally bankrupt. I also think it is a step forward to stop separating these families. And I think we have to acknowledge in a somewhat positive way any step forward. Yes. Because I think when we say people, especially people from the left, ugh, whatever, he's only fixing a problem he started. There's no motivation to continue to move forward because what people from the other side is here is it's never good for you. You're going to hate him no matter what he does. Even when he does what you want him to do, it's not good enough. Look, I don't have a great answer for this, and I'm not saying we should all praise President Trump and be like, oh, my God, you're so nice. You did. You fixed this. But I think there should be a beat in which we say we are so happy that this policy has been stopped. We are so happy ecstatic that children will not be taken from their parents any longer. And should your next breath include criticism of family detention centers, and you need to make sure it also includes criticism of the Obama administration who also did this, who also detained family members. I was just reading an article from 2015 where members of the United States Congress, Democratic members of the United States Congress, sent letters to Obama and said, you have to stop doing this. You have to stop detaining people as families, mothers and children in these detention centers. 
that has not fully grasped the serious harm being inflicted upon mothers and children in custody. A letter to the Obama administration. So I just think that's important to remember. Donald Trump didn't invent this. And that's something I've had to come to come to Jesus, as we say in the South, that immigration and particularly abuses of immigrants, those who have illegally crossed, those who have committed crimes, those undocumented, while in ICE detention, was not created by Donald Trump. The Flores Agreement, which they are all fighting so hard about, for those who don't know, there was a judicial decision, a consent decree that said that once a undocumented child is in government custody, they cannot remain detained for longer than 20 days. So this is what they don't like. They don't like, so if we keep the kids together with their parents, that means their parents also can't be detained for 20 days. That's what they were trying to get around with this, was separating them. So that we, we can keep the parents indefinitely until they're deported or while they're working through the legal process. But this Flores settlement came from horrendous abuse of a 15-year-old girl in 1985. There is currently reporting on young immigrants detained in Virginia in 2016 2016, Donald Trump was not president yet in early 2016. And the reports from this lawsuit of this facility in Virginia and the way they treated children is horrific. It is horrific. And it was going on for years. And so I think before all of us decide to turn the Trump administration into the monsters that created this problem— We need to take a hard look at the history and the treatment of undocumented people on our borders and in detention centers. And all of that is true while still holding this administration accountable for making it infinitely worse. Mm -hmm. I think we have to hold all of these things together. It is not a value to constantly say, what about this? No matter what perspective you're coming from, right? That's it's not a value to it, it, there, there's no virtue in being contrarian all the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the conversations that I've been having about this issue, it seems like people think that there is some kind of moral standing in being able to say, what about this? There isn't. We have to take these things one step at a time. And so today the step is at least we're keeping families together now instead of separating them. We are not finished We have lots of problems to solve. We are learning about historical problems that did not rise to the level of public consciousness that they deserved Mm -hmm. that need to be dealt with. And we just have to keep chipping away at it. I'm struggling to process that there is a big part of me just I'm just going to express an emotion now. Right. Not recommend that anyone else feel what I feel or condone what I feel. I'm not pleased with what I feel, honestly. But I'm really wrestling with this emotional reaction of, I see a story about kids being drugged or sexually abused or left naked and cold in a room with a bag over their head. And I have two responses to that. Response number one is to look away from it because it's too hard. And response number two is to get right into it and think, I need to personally go fix this. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I need to personally, I need to drop everything in my life and drop every shred of happiness that I might experience. I need to do nothing but eat, sleep, and breathe this problem until it's solved. And neither of those reactions are healthy or responsible 
or part of what I need to do as a citizen in our democracy. But this is all really, really hard work. And ripping away at each other over what about this, what about that, isn't going to help us solve it. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked to me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops. Premium luggage options and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. I think where I'm at sort of emotionally, I also 
I definitely lean towards the second one. Like I said, I called you and said, I'm ready to put my body in front of something. I don't even care. I was literally, y'all, I got into a space where I was like, okay, if we, but if we storm the center, they can't kill us all, but then we don't know who's in the crowd. Should we storm the center and get the babies out? Then we won't have the record. Then we, I mean, I, this is where my mind goes. I was ready. I was like, we'll just get there. They're not going to shoot a bunch of moms. Maybe they will. They can't shoot us all at once. I mean, I'm, this is where my mind goes. And then I think I just took a breath and by happenstance, I was reading a novel called The Leavers by Lisa Ko, which is about a child separated from his mother. And you learn, spoiler alert, that she was deported and she was held in this detention center for 18 months and the back of the book, Lisa talk, Lisa Co talks about this, that in 2014, 300,000 immigrants were deported, and of those, 15,000 children were left that were born in the United States. And I just had to think, like, your emotional response to this is important, but it's been going on longer than this. And the reality is that I didn't pay attention unless it got really bad because it didn't affect me. I'm not undocumented. I don't have family members that are undocumented. And so I just didn't know or I didn't want to know. And I feel responsible for that. And I have to hold space for that emotion. I have to think, yeah, in a way you are not personally responsible, but this is my country. And on some level, I'm responsible for how my government treats people. And I think, for me, the, the realization I've come to is the problem with this debate, with this issue, is that the reason it seems intractable and it doesn't change for decades is unfortunately because the people who are directly affected can't vote, and the people who seem to care and make it their issue to vote on want to shut everything down and treat people terribly. And until people like me who aren't directly affected by immigration but decide that it's an essential issue and start making it an issue they reach out to their representatives on and vote on and ask questions on and become passionate about more than just when it bubbles up to the surface because it's so horrendous that what happened this week that I'm not then we're never going to get immigration reform i just hope it doesn't sort of become like the travel ban which is we all pay attention when it's really, really awful. And then we go back to our lives because we're not documented. We don't have family members that are undocumented. I mean, I want immigration reform. I don't want to treat people like this at the border. I don't want backed up lists for decades so that people don't feel like they have any choice because this problem is only getting worse. Whatever issue is your passionate issue, LGBT rights, women's rights, children's rights, climate change, it's all wrapped up in refugee and immigration, and it's only going to get worse. These numbers are only going to surge because of the instability, growing authoritarian governments, like I said, climate change. So we have to decide how we feel about this. We have to decide what America is going to be about. There's no way to just pay attention to it at the periphery or when it bubbles to the surface and get any lasting change. I think it has, it's going to have to take our sustained attention. And that's a tall ask because there are lots of things that require sustained attention. Mm -hmm. There are lots of problems. And I think a common response 
from folks who are defensive of what the administration has done has been, what about all of these issues in our country with our citizens? And I don't think it is wrong to raise that question. I think what it depends on is a conversation, one that we need to have, about whether here in 2018, America is a place or an idea. Mm -hmm. And I think we are not in consensus about whether America is a place or an idea. And I think the answer can be both. I'm not saying that we have no controls on immigration. What is it first? What's our priority? That's a really important question. I've seen a lot of what about imprisonment of our citizens? What about separating our citizens from their children when they commit crime? I'm worried about that, too. I'm worried about the for-profit prison industry. I am worried about the mass incarceration across our country. I am worried about children who grow up without parents because we've put their parents in prison. I'm worried about imprisoning people for drug crimes when what those people really need is treatment. I'm worried about disenfranchising people who've served in prison. I'm worried about not making jobs available to people because of one mistake that they made. I'm worried about executing people. I'm worried about all of those things. And all of those things require sustained focus and effort too. This is all very, very difficult. And that's why I think one day at a time, one step at a time, and if this issue is really calling out to you, then then yes, as you said, Sarah, let it keep calling out to you after it's been really, really bad. It is also okay if there's another issue that is your sustained focus and you come over here and get involved when it gets really, really bad. We just need everybody doing their part. I think, too, what I was thinking about when I'm looking at this issue in particular is just that it's so the on. I've, you know, it's not like I haven't listened to a million podcasts or read a million articles on the Internet about how anti-immigrant fervor is such a political fuel to our – to, you know what, my personal political enemies. I'm going to go ahead and use that word. Like, because I think there's there's a space for a lot of competing ideas, but the ideas that I found most harmful to our democratic ideas and institutions – to the prospect of America as an idea seems to come from that camp. That seems to be the fuel they pour on the fire. You know, they chanted build a wall for a reason. That became the that became the thing that bubbled up for a reason. It's like the veil has been lifted off my eyes, you know, like I'm I'm seeing the water like that's what's been fueling this and you know, and I'm just I hope that we can see that this is the population that whenever they they press hard and they think, well, we can get away with the travel ban or we can get away with separating that. This is the population they pick, you know. And I tell you know, so Beth and I had a conversation. I'm like, it always with this administration, this is what it always comes back to. It always comes back to undocumented people. You know, I'm trying to think about in my own life, like how I can work on this issue, how I can help with this issue. Because I do think it needs, we really need people who aren't, like I said, directly affected to really start. And I mean, advocating can just, like we said, it could just mean a phone call and say, hey, I want immigration reform. I want sustainable, comprehensive, compassionate immigration reform. I was at a board meeting yesterday and one of my fellow directors said to me, 
I don't feel like anybody is discussing why immigration is a quote unquote problem. Mm-hmm. And and he talked about it for a minute and I really agreed with what he said. And I thought, you know, maybe part of what we need to do when we're having these conversations with people in our lives, face to face, one on one or in groups or on Facebook or wherever you're having your conversations. Listen, I'm for having those conversations everywhere. I've seen a lot in the past couple of days of sort of we just need to keep politics off Facebook. No, I don't think that's right. I think that we need to have politics everywhere because I think we're all responsible for what's happening and acting like we aren't is a big part of the problem. We need to ju- not only not keep it off, but also not keep it only on Facebook. That would that's be right. Addendum. <laughs> I think that's well said. And 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 we need to do it in a way that, that has some goal other than yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I want to say today is I sort of reject the premise that immigration is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that that's controversial. But what I see is that by every objective measurement, immigration is good for our economy. Mm-hmm. Low-skilled immigration is good for our economy. That second-generation Americans tend to be job creators and law-abiding citizens and taxpayers. Mm-hmm. That on the whole, we have huge labor shortages throughout the United States that will not be filled by American citizens. That when I do my kind of nerdy geography updates about different places throughout the world, I am always struck by when I compare the size of a country to a state in the United States, I'm always struck by the fact that this country is about the size of this state, but it, its population is four times this state, mm-hmm. right? That I, I just want to say I am always struck by the fact that as Americans, we are spread out. Yeah. Like we are not overpopulated. We are not at risk of being overrun by people today. That could change in the future. And I think it is likely to change in the future. But that's not where we are today. So I almost feel like I have contributed to just accepting some premises for the debate that I disagree with. And I want to talk more about why I think immigration is really healthy and good for us. That said, I do not live in a border community. And I understand that it is not that immigration is good or bad. And it is not that all immigrants are amazing or terrible. This is all complex. There's there's a spectrum for everything. I also prioritize... Over that complexity, I prioritize American values about our justice system and about not detaining people until they've been convicted of a crime and about not denying representation of people in that process. And so when I see the president rejecting proposals from people like Ted Cruz to invest more in our civil immigration system so that it can efficiently enforce our laws and and get people's claims heard and adjudicated, and the president is saying, I don't want to spend money on judges. I want to spend it on ICE agents. I have a real problem with that because I believe in the law all the way through how it is enforced. Not just that it appears to me at this moment you broke the law, but that our entire process, to me, it's against the law, begins with identifying the problem. But what happens next is so much more important. 
And just like I would rather have a guilty person go free from the American justice system than an innocent person be convicted, I would rather take the risk of undocumented people coming into our country and committing a crime than having our government wrongfully detain those people. That's my priority. I think that it is important to look at the impact of exactly those priorities the president speaks to. It is important to know that zero tolerance not only rips children from their parents, puts family in detention centers, but that those ICE detention centers are run from private companies, and some companies make a lot of money from zero tolerance. GEO Group, Companies that run private prisons all over this country also run private ICE detention centers where there are abuses and they make a lot of money. Every tent city that goes up, all those all those things you see in the news, people make money from that. And so if people are making money from detention, but we don't want to spend money on judges, exactly like you said, that speaks to our values, doesn't it? And we have to ask those questions. We have to say, where is our money being spent? Is our money just being spent in detention? And cruel, cruel detention at that? Or do we want to spend more money? Because if at that, you know, I don't know what it would be like for a thousand immigrants a day to pour into my community. I don't. I don't know what that would be like. And so I'm not going to speak to those community experiences. But if that flow is not going to stop anytime soon, then we need to start spending resources not only in detention and enforcement, where, private again, private companies are making money, but... Like you said, in in clearing the system and changing the law so that it doesn't back up that way in comprehensive immigration reform so that we don't have, you know, decades of wait and people spending, sending in detention 18 months because they can't get heard. They don't have attorneys. There aren't translators. Like all these things, you know, where it's just like anything else where you spend your money speaks to your priorities. And the other emotion that I'm dealing with, and again, I want to be really clear about the fact that this is an emotion, not a thought. I feel a real sense of libertarianism, anarchy kind of creeping up in me. Like when Mm -hmm. I see situations like this, just like when I watch the Waco documentary, I have a little bit of, okay, I get the people living in Montana who have stocked up on AK-47s. I get it. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. And I think that what I am fighting when I feel that emotion is that sense of the government or my government. Mm. I have been a Republican my entire life because I have worried that Democrats with really good intentions would create a government so big and so powerful that it would unintentionally cause harm. And now we have a Republican administration that is intentionally causing harm with a big, powerful government mm-hmm. and telling us every day. I mean, Donald Trump, to his credit, at least is honest about what he's doing. He's telling us every single day. The rest of his administration isn't. I mean, there have been lies upon lies and he lies all the time, but he's truthful about his interest in a massive military. He mm-hmm. just gave a speech about American dominance in space. He tells us all the time, I want a big, powerful, scary government. And that is what I have been trying to vote against always. And now I have it being done directly instead of indirectly by my own party. And so my reaction to that can be the government is big and scary and awful. 
and so I need to run from it. Or my government is out of control, and I need to lean into that and hold it accountable. And that's something I've just been thinking about a lot. And what does that mean for me? What's my work in doing that? But I think it is important for me to remember that I do believe the government has overreached in massive and dangerous ways, Mm -hmm. not just under the Trump administration, as you said, under the Obama administration. I'm certainly under the Bush administration. And I bet that we'll learn more and more about the Clinton administration. And we can go all the way back to the freaking revolution. Right. And our government will have been oppressing and doing things to people the way we've treated Native Americans, you know, that we have a long history of this. Right. And so I can spend the rest of my life going, well, the government is terrible. So I'm too out. And I'm relying on all the things that I have nothing to do with that keep me safe because I'm white, because I'm middle class, because I live in Kentucky, whatever. Or I can say this is my government and it's unacceptable. And what am I going to do about it? I think that's so well said and so important. And it is hard. You know, I had a friend, we were talking about artificial intelligence and this fear that it will get so big and out of our control. And he said, isn't government and corporations the original artificial intelligence? And I thought, oh, I think you're right. That's really good. (laughs) Where Where we created something that we can't quite control. And look, the reason that I love this country is I think that this country has gotten the closest. We are not perfect. We have screwed it up so royally and so massively. Repeatedly. But I don't I'm not seeing a better idea. I think the idea is good mm-hmm. <laughs> and the implementation needs improvement. But the idea that all men are created equal, not citizens, men, is a good one. Let's take a quick break and then come back and talk about our work more and especially how we are sharing and helping our children process some of this news. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And... Even with toddlers, like, you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry, even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, God, I love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. 
And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. So we've had a a lot of conversations on Twitter, especially about how wrung out everybody feels emotionally Mm. and especially about like, I don't know what to say to my children about what's happening. And I was telling Sarah before we started, I have decided that that part of my work in all of this is to say to my children what's happening really explicitly Mm -hmm. and talk to them about it often and make it a normal thing in our household to be discussing what's in the news, especially the horrific parts of it. Yeah, I feel very strongly about this for two reasons. One, I think that it's important that children exist in the world and see the world outside themselves and see that, um, you know, the, the realm of their own experience is not where the world ends. And so talking about the experience, even really, really horrific experiences of children within our country is important. Now, I don't go into great detail. And my experience with my kids, the other reason I do this is I had a therapist tell me once that kids will just deal with things to their level of capability. Like, and that's sort of why, side note, childhood trauma is so terrible because you kind of have to, you gain an additional tool and then you have to deal with it all over again. So in my experience, depending on their age level, like, if they if it's too hard for them to think about, you will immediately lose their attention and they will move on. Like they'll just be like, "Oh, that's interesting." And you'll think your kid is a psychopath, but they're not. They're just <laughs> they're dealing with it to their their capability. So, my son Amos is 7, my son Griffin is 9, and we did talk about 
that they are taking kids away from their parents at the border because it is very difficult to get into our country legally. And sometimes people break the rules because they don't feel like they have any other choice. And Griffin had questions and he was really upset. And Amos was like, oh, that's so mean. And then he went off and played. Like, so I think that he, you know, he doesn't have, he's not quite mature enough to really take it in. But I want him to know that it's happening because people are talking about it all the time and I want him to understand. But I don't really ever worry about just traumatizing them. Now, I'm not showing them pictures or audio or being like, see how much these kids are suffering. But I'm explaining the situation. They both went with me to Mitch McConnell's office. And so I think that it's good that they understand what's going on. But I just I tell it to them in a very upfront, basic way. And I know that they'll just take it into their capacity. I shared on Twitter the other day that Jane was in the car with me and the news was on and someone started quoting an ICE agent as saying, we don't have family doesn't matter here, something like that. And I quickly turned it off because like you, I don't want to just unnecessarily expose Jane to the most horrifying images, audio, whatever. I want to be able to filter it for her in an age-appropriate way. But she said, what was that about? I mean, she heard it and she wanted to know. And so I told her, this is what's happening. And I think it's wrong. And I've written a letter to Rand Paul. You remember when we saw Rand Paul that one time? I wrote him a letter about it, you know. And we had the conversation and, and Jane quickly formed some opinions about it. And she said, Mommy, this doesn't seem hard to me. It seems like we just need to stop this. And if I were the president, here's what I would do. And it was great. And it was amazing the level at which she was able to engage on this issue. And I think that's important. And I think that's important when it when she doesn't have that reaction, as she does not sometimes. Yeah. She saw me reading something about North Korea the other day. She asked me what it was. I said, there's a country across the ocean that has for a long time threatened to do really bad things to the United States. And President Trump is going over there to try to work it out. And I don't know if he'll be successful or not. And I'm trying to read about that. She just went on about her day. No interest. <laughs> she was like, great. And so I think you just have to keep doing it. But what I'm communicating to her as a parent, and you don't have to be a parent to communicate this. There are lots of adults throughout the course of my life who didn't have any kind of familial connection with me who were adults I knew would answer my questions directly. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're a parent or not, be one of those adults who tells kids by your responses to these questions, I trust you enough to be honest with you and you can trust me to do the same. Yeah. That I think that's one of the best things that we can do to support families in the United States and to support our own kids and to support other people's kids. Just be an adult who will answer the question without being condescending or rude or mean, without trying to protect them from hard things because that doesn't serve them. It doesn't serve us collectively. It's probably not a great thing that I grew up having almost no conversations anywhere about race. That's not a good thing. And so I think we just need to keep doing this. We don't have to overwhelm them and we don't have to transfer onto them some of the emotions that we talked about in the first segment that we're having. I don't need Jane to feel like she's responsible for putting down everything in her life and working on this problem. That's not her work to do. But I can explain it to her in a really straightforward way. Well, and I think I want my children to understand, I mean, not to go full Spider-Man, but to those who much is given, much is expected. Yes. I want them to see in our house that we have a lot and we are very blessed. And that comes over with responsibility to give back 
and to help and to serve. Um, I think that is incredibly important, and that is a value I want to instill in my children, that you are very blessed. And the way that we show gratitude for that, like we talked about with Diana Butler Bass, is we release that into the world through service or through giving or through exercising our gratitude in a million different ways. But I, you know, I think that privilege is a virus that spreads when no one looks at you and says, you did nothing to deserve this. This is a blessing. How can we pay this forward? You know, the luck of birth is just that. It's just the luck of birth. And that doesn't make you a bad person. And you don't have to feel guilty all the time. But awareness of that blessing, of that privilege, of that luck is so important. I think that's right. And I think that's difficult. And as adults, Mm -hmm. it's hard. I spent most of my therapy this week talking about how compelled I feel to do something about this immigration situation. And and my therapist in classic fashion spent the session saying back to me, you're doing enough. You're doing your part. And I'm doing my part. And if every person would just do our individual parts, we wouldn't have these problems. Mm-hmm. But things get even more broken when we try to do work that's not our work. When yeah. we overwhelm ourselves by trying to feel every emotion, to feel all of the world's suffering every minute of every day, then we just break ourselves. And now we aren't our link in the chain, like you said earlier. That was very helpful to me. I told Beth that this must be the non-dual consciousness that Richard Rohr is always talking about (laughs) in his emails. You know, he talks about consciousness and he talks about that. And I, I think that's I think that's what's so hard is releasing the world and your view of the world and your place in it through this binary lens, through saying something is right or wrong. And I am wholly responsible or wholly guilty in within that system. And just taking ourselves out of that linear orientation and saying the world is what it has always been, which is a place full of great happiness and great suffering. And my place within it will be comprised of great happiness and great suffering. And not one or the other, sometimes both at the exact same time. That is a really, really difficult space to hold. The reason that it is difficult and the reason it is valuable is because anything good is hard. We learn so much about ourselves when we can hold space for that, when we can acknowledge that we are both a mix of happiness and suffering and good or bad, just like every other human being on the planet. And so when you get a big mix of those big, complicated human beings, you're going to have both. You're going to have moments of great love, you know, Half the time I've been crying over the last week, it's because of the love people are showing for these families, people that are stopping their lives to go to the airport and welcome these kids off the airplanes. You can feel everyone's love for them and everyone's suffering for them and everyone's saying, I don't want this. And that's beautiful in its own way, too, as ugly as the suffering is. And it's just it's all mixed up there together. And as much as I would love to sort it out, and fix it like a math problem, it doesn't work like that. Another thing my therapist said that was really helpful to me is that trauma creates consciousness. Mm, That's really good. And that doesn't mean that everything happens for a reason. Nope. And that doesn't mean that this is all supposed to happen, that we're in some inevitable moment of tension in our history. 
What it means is that we can see things happening as they are and know that we have the capacity as human beings to channel that into something better in the future. Again, it's not that it was supposed to happen this way. I do not believe that what's happening right now is supposed to happen. I do not believe in any kind of trite expression of religious platitude about what's happening right now. Like there's, I think that what is happening is unequivocally wrong and totally cruel and unnecessary. And knowing that trauma creates consciousness, I am hopeful that we will do better as a civilization going forward. And and I'm just trying to hold on to that and understand that it's still trauma and something good can come from it eventually. And also that that's not inevitable, right? That's a choice and requires effort and requires capacity. It's a mess. It's all hard. Mm. (laughs) But I keep working through it. So we got an email from Jess that expressed a lot of what we've been talking about, just kind of is anything sacred? How is this not the thing that brings all of us together? I feel like we're in some sort of bad science fiction. And then related in my mind, although maybe not necessarily related in everyone's minds, was an email that we got from Brett about Steve Schmidt's very public announcement this week that he is leaving the Republican Party. If you don't follow every detail of of politics and haven't for the last decade, Steve Schmidt was a prominent advisor for John McCain through his presidential run and has advised many prominent Republicans. And so he is now an MSNBC contributor and someone who's been very vocally critical of Donald Trump from the beginning. And he tweeted a long series about it is black and white now, right? The the Republican Party has become the party of Donald Trump and it is inconsistent with all of his values. And the only moral choice at this point for him is to become a Democrat. And Brett emailed us to say, I hear him. I am for an honest expression of feeling. Also, I think our country needs two healthy parties. And it is not good for people like Steve Schmidt to exit the Republican Party. And I think that those two messages are related because it does feel like an inflection point in our history where there's kind of only one thing to do. And I know for me, that means in November, I will be voting for Democrats. Not as an expression of my endorsement of a completely leftist progressive government, you know, far from it, but as a rejection of what I see as a government that has severely abused its power over the past year. The thing that I've been thinking about is I get myself tied up in knots before every episode about releasing another episode that begins Sarah from the left and Beth from the right, because I know that I'm not a representative of the right under President Trump. And we've talked a lot about this, like ad nauseum. And that's kind of where I am. I think I'm finished asking myself that question because it's not the most important question right now. Acknowledging that I have a more conservative viewpoint than Sarah is important to setting up this show so people understand what we're talking about. But it is like, it is not the most important question I can be asking myself right now. And which jersey I wear doesn't, it just doesn't matter if I'm actually voting in a way that's consistent with my values. 
if I'm actually participating in democracy in ways that are consistent with my values. What party Steve Schmidt is in, it matters so much less than how he's using his voice and his time. And so I don't have any criticism for what Steve Schmidt did. I think he genuinely believed that was the right thing to do. And I think he's doing everything he can to try to say this is not what this party is supposed to be. And maybe it needs to die because it's not what it's supposed to be anymore. And maybe something else needs to take its place. And that's part of Brett's question. Like, if it needs to die, fine. But something needs to take its place because a one-party country with some fringe parties all over the place is not good. And I totally agree with that. The other thing is, though, I just don't want to elevate partisanship anymore. And I feel mm. like in in kind of what Steve Schmidt is talking about here and what I've done on this show, I feel like I'm elevating partisanship by struggling through that question. Just as a matter. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go vote for Democrats in 2018 because I think it's the right thing to do. I'm going to see what happens after that. I am going to keep going to the Republican conversations that I'm invited to to express what, what I think should be the party's values. And we'll see where it all goes. So we wanted to end today's episode on a hopeful note, because what I don't want any of us to do after this week is to despair. And I know I felt despair this week, but one of my favorite quotes is Rob Bell, who says, despair is a spiritual condition that tells you tomorrow will be exactly the same as today. That quote is relevant to America because America is imperfect, but I think the best part about the exercise of our values is that America's tomorrows are not always exactly like it's today's, and that sometimes they're worse, but often they're better. Um, We have not solved institutional racism, but we did in slavery and we did in Jim Crow. So I hope that none of us despair. I hope that some of us can find hope in a future for America that looks very different than what we're looking at today. And we found a little piece of hope in New Zealand. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern gave birth to her daughter on Thursday. Um, I love the message that she said. She said, welcome to our village, we win, feeling very lucky to have a healthy baby girl. So welcome to the baby. Thanks for bringing us a little spot of hope this week. We love nothing more than seeing women govern and mothering at the same time. So congrats to Jacinda Ardern and her husband. And thank you to our listener, Oliver, in New Zealand, who sent us Instagram links so that we could look at the pictures of this precious <laughs> first family of New Zealand. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for continuing to approach these issues as part of a community. I think that's a huge step forward. And we will be back with you here on Tuesday for another conversation. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Fancy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.